0: Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson. And I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com. Joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, it's it's the end of October. We're mid-world series. Halloween's around the corner. <laughs> how you, how you doing?
1: Doing okay. Kids are getting ready for Halloween. Uh, a lot of trick-or-treating in my future. Uh, yeah, so it's a scary time.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult. I, uh... Uh, my, my roommates have a four-year-old, and so I'm going to have to take a shift, I'm sure, taking her <laughs> trick-or-treating, which means I'm going to have to leave and miss part of Game
1: 3 tomorrow night. <laughs> so I guess oh, you I'm know gonna... what? I, you, you could be the guy at the door giving out candy, though. I've always wanted to be that person. I, I can never get to be that person though but i've always wanted to be so being that
0: person's a little (laughs) less fun when you have three crazy dogs and two cats to try and keep from going outside every time you open up the door and keep from scaring away the children with their barking and (laughs) so it's kind of a (laughs) lose-lose okay but but hey i'm I'm not a downer halloween is fun i'm looking forward to it uh we've we've got a lot to talk about today as usual we're starting to kind of get the trickle of early off-season news now that all but two teams are are knocked out. Um, so we're going to get into, into that news. We're going to discuss the teams that were knocked out. We're also going to discuss um, non-tender candidates since the Matt Swartz arbitration estimates came through from MLB trade rumors. Uh, and we were able to run those against our projections for players next season and, and see who's a non-tender candidate. So a whole lot to talk about very quickly before we get into it. Uh, the, the Phillies, John. The
1: Phillies. Did you see this coming? So, some wise person posted on Twitter, like, look, they've got Wheeler and Nola at the top of the rotation. they got the reigning MVP, Bryce Harper. They've got Castellanos and Schwarber and Bohm heating up. Like, that is a winning team, right? On paper. And so, shouldn't we not be surprised that they've turned into a winning team and gone this far? Uh, yeah, I buy that kind of, uh, Harper was injured a lot of the year, right? So if he'd been healthy, maybe they would have been a higher seed. And we would be less surprised. So there's part of me that sort of sees it that way.
0: And they really follow the Nationals 2019 model almost to a T here where, yeah, maybe they aren't the most impressive regular season team. They have some flaws. But when you get to the postseason, you can really shorten up that pitching staff and you can lean mm-hmm. pretty heavily on your five or six elite guys. And then you add that to a pretty loaded lineup with a couple of bona fide superstars in there and then a lot of just solid contributors up and down. And it's, yeah, I don't think, you know, you know, people are making a big deal out of, they won, what, 87 games this year. That's, I don't think that's necessarily their true talent as a team and especially as a team in this playoff format with the off days and, and you know, all hands on deck kind of attitude that you can have. Um, but I also saw it pointed out a lot I don't know if I said this before on a previous episode, so apologies if I did, but I've seen it pointed out a lot that specifically teams like the Phillies and the Padres, yeah, they might have finished in the you know mid-80s, high-80s, low-90s win totals, but that's not that's not necessarily reflective of their true talent as a team, because they spent a lot of the season without key players, or a lot of that performance came before they traded for impact players, for the Padres being... Soto and Hayter and and some of the others and for the Phillies they picked it not not quite as big of names but they picked up David Robertson and Noah Sindergaard and uh, Brandon Marsh has really improved their defense and so it's not it's not the same team and you can't just look at them and say this is an 87 win team they have no chance they're they're proving that they deserve to be there and and that they're gonna push the Astros as hard as they can and it's been fun to watch so far
1: Absolutely, and I forgot to mention Real Muto and, you know, Hoskins and Sir Anthony Dominguez has is, is always been a high-quality reliever. They've traded Dave, for David Robertson the deadline, so they got a lot of names. And, oh, by the way, Dave Dobrowski is the guy running the show back there. So, like, he's he knows a thing or two about, you know, winning in the playoffs. So, in a way, again, I'm not surprised.
0: Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It, it's not a perfect team. It's not a flawless team. I don't feel comfortable when Noah Syndergaard comes into the game throwing 93. I, I just don't. <laughs> Zach Eflin doesn't inspire a lot of confidence as as a, a reliable late inning arm. I, he just doesn't strike that way to me. And you compare them to Houston and Houston is just everywhere you look every year, every spot in the lineup, every spot in the bullpen, every spot in the rotation, they're getting above average production. It's It's incredible. Don't know how they do it year in and year out. I think I saw a stat that they only had, like I think, three or four innings pitched this year by pitchers who finished the year with an ERA over four. Just insane performance top to bottom on their roster. So I'm not trying to discount them in any way, but it's it's been competitive for a reason because these are two very good baseball teams.
1: Yeah, Houston is amazing. We've talked about their pitching staff in the past, but hadn't talked so much about their bullpen, but Brian, Ryan Presley is obviously elite. But they've got guys like Rafael Montero, who's taken a step forward. They've got Neris who's always been good, and he's kind of coming back to his, you know, best self. So, you know, and, and it's just weird that not a lot of people talk about all these all these players in Houston who are really good because they've got a floor, right? They've got a couple of big stars and Alvarez, and Bennell, and Altuve and the guys, you know, but then they've got all these other stars that sort of crept into the picture and like, Oh, those guys are good too. You know, like there's not a, a weakness.
0: Yeah. Brian Abreu in particular, you know, he, he was kind of a prospect coming up, but, faltered pretty early on never really made an impact I think there were some injuries in there as well and he, he he's really you know you could cast him off you'd, you'd have him as like a DFA candidate whatever and then he comes out of nowhere 194 ERA 1. 1.4 wins above replacement and he's pitching high leverage innings in October for them and it's they just keep doing it year in and year out they yeah they just know how to run a team they know how to develop players it's incredible and it it I, I, I didn't even have this listed among our news to discuss, but uh, despite how well-run they are, there's even more rumors that James Click might be on the way out. There was a Ken Rosenthal article in the Athletic, of, kind of detailing what's really going on behind the scenes, and it was it was a little bit along the lines of what we had speculated the last time we spoke about it on the podcast, where you know uh, Jim Crane was kind of rushed into the hire and. You know, he and he and Click have butted heads a little bit. Click has been trying to expand the analytics department, and and you know, it's hard to say no to it. It's hard to say no to the results, but maybe Crane doesn't want to be spending the money on the extra positions. And, and there there were a few other items in that article as well. I'll go ahead and link to it. But incredible that a team can be so well run, but considering cutting off their their head of baseball operations, it's. That'll be something to watch in the offseason for sure. And and I I don't know if you can do it if you're the Astros if you win the World Series. I I guess it's easier to scapegoat him if you lose, but I don't know.
1: You know, Charlie Finley fired Dick Williams after two World Series victories. You know, crazier things have happened, you know, in the past with, you know, owners can do what they want if they don't get along with a person. You know, despite success, they can still make those choices. Yeah, I guess so. All right, pivoting
0: to a a different front office move, but but kind of equally surprising, to be honest. Uh, so David Stearns has stepped down as the Brewers' president of baseball operations. Now, this isn't him leaving the team. This isn't him looking for other opportunities with other organizations. In fact, he's reportedly said that he's he's staying put for now, not going anywhere. Um, but he's going to be, remain. Remaining with the Brewers in an advisory capacity, and this just kind of kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, he cited, you know, he he wasn't fully into it. He he was kind of torn between his family and the job, and he wanted to to take a step back. and And I think he he was quoted as saying something along the lines of, you know, this isn't a job you can kind of half ass for for lack of a better uh, word there um you, you can't be divided you have to give it your full attention day in and day out otherwise you're not doing the best job you can do at it and so he's stepping aside uh matt arnold is taking over the general manager uh previous general manager of the brewers is taking over as the head of baseball ops and he's a very well respected baseball executive as well so it's it's it, it's not like we're handing the reins over to some rookie and, and things are going to be a mess in milwaukee going forward but stern's is one of the more highly regarded executives in the game and there's been long speculation about will the Mets poach him or will he go to some other larger franchise that you know maybe has more budget to work with than the Brewers do and they can really let him run wild um as of right now it doesn't seem like it's happening still plenty of speculation especially with this move but for right now at least it seems like he's actually just taking a back seat. we'll see if that changes at all
1: though but what was what was your reaction to this news um okay so he's not even 40 yet there's no way he's like uh he's not retiring or anything right he's going to get another job this is a move this is a chess move and that was my first reaction he's he's fully aware that the mets have interest in giving giving him the top job over there he might be interested in the astros top job if as we just said you know click ends up going out the door because he came from the astros he knows there is interest in him as an executive. So he's decided that he's probably going to take one of these jobs as soon as he legally can. So, um, he, he when you're in the top job of a baseball operations department, you're making decisions that have long-term implications, right? So if he's only under contract in 2023, And he's making trades or free agent signings that have longer term sort of uh, length, teams of in terms of teams of uh, terms of control. Um, You can't really do that, and and if if you know you're out the door after the year, you're not really making, you're not really. doing your best to kind of make sure you have the best interest at heart within the team. And so he's doing the noble thing and stepping down because he knows he would probably leave at the end of his contract in 2023. So he's not the right person to be making decisions that impact 2024 and so on. So that's the noble thing to do on the one hand. The other thing to do is knowledge reality is saying, yeah, I'm going to be out after that. So having said that, because he's still under contract, he's got to stay with the team in some form. So that's the advisory capacity, which is really just sort of, you know, um, you know, some way of saying yes, I'm still under contract. Now, from here on, it's just a matter of timing. It's a matter of do the other teams that want him wait until his contract expires, or do they work something out with Mark and, and Nazio, the Brewers owner? Um, and that's, I think, the name of the game right now. Um, whenever someone says, "Yeah, I'm leaving to spend more time with my family," your BS indicator, your BS detector should go up because it's never true. They're just making a move to make another move, and I think that's, that's what's happening here.
0: Yeah, I don't mean to get too speculative or conspiratorial or anything like that. But I mean, you can you could see the issues with the optics of, you know, the the Brewers are at kind of we talked about it last episode. They're at a weird spot They're They're at kind of a tipping point here. They got to pick a direction. And if that direction is selling and, you know, maybe they make a Brandon Woodruff or even a Corbin Burns available. You think the Mets might be interested in that because they're losing to Grom and Bassett and, and Carrasco to uh, to free agency and Scherzer's getting older. And so, so you think they might be in that market and the optics maybe wouldn't be the best. If Stearns was running the show, he traded Burns to the Mets and then next year he joins the Mets, you know, like I said, that's it's a bit speculative and I'm not saying that an exact scenario like that would have prompted this move, but it, it, it it just uh it guards him against some some potentially bad optics some um, potential conflicts of interest and uh hey he he gets to maybe take a bit of a back seat this year maybe get <laughs> actually do does get to spend some time with his family relax a little bit before he takes over the reins somewhere a little more high stress potentially
1: yeah although that's not New to the Mets. Remember when they heard Brody Van Wagenen as their GM, who was an agent who then ended up signing and trading for some of his former clients, you know, So which, you know, raised an eyebrow or two. Um, and most of those moves did not work out, which is why he's no longer the GM. Um, so it can happen, but it is embarrassing and the optics are not great to your point. But anyway, I think he's playing things the right way, making the right chess moves, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And
0: the reason we don't typically see this you know every single time an executive changes teams well reason a is because there are you know there's kind of i don't know if it's a written rule or an unwritten rule but it's typically frowned upon to block your own personnel from pursuing a promotion with another organization so you know if if your team's GM gets offered a baseball head of baseball ops job elsewhere. You're 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 expected to let them interview and let them take it. Uh, whereas Stearns is already the head of baseball ops, so there really isn't a natural promotion for him to to pick up with any of these teams. So that's part of it. And then I think it's also just just the quality of the guy, and you know the Brewers don't want to lose him. So they'd rather not just let him walk to the Mets this year, terminate his contract early, whatever. And especially since they might view the Mets as a, I mean, I'm sure they do view the Mets as as a competitor. They've been, they've both been playoff contenders the last handful of years. So I think that's what makes this a little bit different than some other scenarios we've seen in the past where, you know, a GM just goes to another team with, with no kind of downtime near the end of their contract while they wait for it to run out or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to to your earlier point, you know, we talked about the crossroads that the Brewers are at. Um, I speculated that they should probably sell uh, because they've got too many holes on their roster. Now I'm not quite sure because Matt Arnold might want to say, hey, it's my first year in the job. I've still got Burns and Woodruff and Adamas and, you know, we'll see what Yelich has left. You know, I mean, he's got some pieces and he might just want to say, you know what? I don't want my first move to be a rebuild. Maybe I'll just try one more year and see if I can be creative and see if we can get to the playoffs again with this core. Um, Cause they're close, right? You know, and then maybe say, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. So last, you know, it was our last year of, of Burns. And what well, we have two years left of Burns and Woodruff, right? So, you know, give it one more year. And if they don't at that point, now we can throw in the towel and rebuild something like that. I think may be more likely now.
0: I can see it. I mean, This, you could view this upcoming year as maybe the last year of their window between those guys that you listed, Adamas, Burns, Woodruff, only getting more expensive and only getting older and looking at the division, you know, the Pirates are probably still a couple years off, but I could see the Cubs shooting for a quicker turnaround to contention and and possibly achieving it, given the way they're willing to spend to make it happen. So maybe not 2023, but maybe they are starting to push for at least 500 in 2024 if not better, and, and you know the Cardinals, they just won the division, but they're not a powerhouse by any means, and their two main guys, Arnauto and Goldschmidt, they're only getting older. Goldschmidt really mm-hmm. tailed off in the second half, and, and they lost a surprisingly productive Albert Pujols, and you can't pencil in Adam Wainwright to be as valuable as he was this past year, so maybe they mm-hmm. their window is still a little bit open, and, and maybe you're right that Give it one last shot, see what happens. If it doesn't work, you're still going to get a whole lot of value in return for Woodruff and Burns and and Adonis, and you're not missing out on a ton. At (laughs) least you gave it one last shot in your first year as a GM or as the head of baseball ops.
1: Yeah, no, I don't see them making crazy moves like trading. You know, Jackson Junio is one of the top prospects in baseball now. It looks like a phenom, Um, but I can see them making some moves um, for you know some hole piecing. some hole fillers you know and you know for sort of the maybe this making some of their second tier prospects available maybe you know maybe their three or four guy or whatever um to fill some of those holes and give it one more shot so uh, um it's gonna be see what direction interesting to see what uh direction matt arnold goes
0: yeah and they're a team that could really benefit from upgrading the fringes of their roster not having jace peterson starting every day you know, yeah. add, adding depth, adding some of those two-win players that aren't going to be quite expensive, but will round out their lineup, round out their rotation, round out their bullpen, and that that can improve them a lot. And that's one of the easier ways to improve, is to find those starting-caliber players. The harder thing to do is to find a pitcher like Burns to lead your rotation, and they already got that.
1: That's right. And so, you know, I had, skipping ahead a bit, I had Hunter Renfro as a potential non-tender candidate, but that's because he's basically... About to get paid in his R three year, what he's worth. Not to say he's a bad player. He's not. He's a perfectly fine player. You know, he hits lefties great. He's got a great outfield arm, and so on. And he's a perfectly good right fielder, right? So he's just getting expensive for what he actually is. So then the question becomes: Do they have the budget to fill fill, fill these other other pieces, or? You know, do they say, okay, we can get a cheaper version of Renfro, uh, save money by non-tendering him, and fix him some holes in some other places? You know, that's going to be one of the key areas where they're going to look at, how can we save money? How can we get more bang for the buck here, here, and there? Now, having said that, all the teams try to do that every time. So, uh, But with Arnold in his window, while he can, he's going to be very creative in trying to do that.
0: Yeah, seems pretty likely. Okay, moving on to some other news. Just very quick hits here. Uh, the Royals hired Matt Qu- Quatraro. This, this name's always going to be difficult for me to say. Quatraro <laughs> as their manager. The Rangers, somewhat surprisingly, hired Bruce Bochy as their manager. He comes out of... I don't know if it was ever announced as a retirement, but uh, he'd been away from baseball for a few years, uh, at least away from managing for a few years, but now he'll be leading the Rangers. And the Marlins hired Skip Schumacher. So these were... These are three names that have been kind of, they've been bandied about quite a bit the last handful of years for managerial openings. You know, speculation about Bochy to the Padres, I remember. Schumacher's always been seen as a future manager. Quattraro, same deal. He gets interviews every single year. Not a whole lot for me to really add here other than, I guess you can maybe, uh, the one of these that maybe stands out the most is the Rangers with Bochy. Uh, just because he's such a big name and how much turnover they've had in that organization in the last year, year and a half. And they're clearly pushing to contend and they think he's a guy who can get them there. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know if I have too much to add here. Do you?
1: Yeah, just a little bit. So I just think it sends a signal. Um, Texas has been sending signals that, hey, we're getting ready to contend, folks. You don't hire Bruce Brochi if you're rebuilding, right? You hire him because you want to take the team to the next level and this is a guy who's been to the top many times right so so that's them sending a signal both to their own team and to the league saying we're serious folks we're we're getting there we're almost ready And so we've got a top flight manager we've got seager and Simeon and a bunch of other good young talent so they're coming is the signal they're saying um with quattro to the royals i think it sends a signal that we're getting smarter so as we know They fired their last GM, Dayton Moore, um, promoted JJ Piccolo, who was the number two guy before, who's, you know, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit more analytical. And now they go ahead and hire the bench coach from the Rays or the most analytical team in the league and the most sort of forward thinking, you know. So the knock on the Royals has been, yeah, they're a little behind the times. Yeah, Dayton Moore was like making decisions more with his heart. Maybe more than with his head, you know, so now they're using their head and they're basically saying, OK, we're taking a guy who knows analytics, who knows innovative thinking to be our manager. So they're getting smarter. Um, and so those are the two that that kind of sent signals to me that were clear. I've not I don't know. I have nothing to say about Shoemaker. Shoemaker, yeah, shoemaker to the, the Marlins other than, you know what? Uh, bad players and nothing gets you maker. Bad players make good managers. Good players don't make good managers. So, Mattingly was a good player, right? But the the ones that are the great managers are the ones who sat on the bench, you know, and and observed the game and could relate to the regular guys. They could make the regular guys better because they didn't, they already knew that the more talented guys were already good. So you don't want a talented guy typically as your manager. You want a bench guy or an ex catcher or one of those types of guys for your manager, and he fits that mold.
0: Yeah, it's along the lines of, and even with the same organization, it's why Barry Bonds didn't work as a hitting coach for the Marlins. You know, he, right all he did was step in there and hit. It was easy for him. How is he going to teach exactly. people who it isn't as easy for how to hit? He never had to run right. into that problem. Um, And one other note on the Royals, you mentioned the Dayton Moore, JJ Piccolo, and we talked about that when it happened and how, you know, maybe we shouldn't expect a massive change or anything because piccolo's been his right hand man and he probably does a lot of things similar on the other hand there's this move where you go from mike Matheny, who was kind of stuck in the stone ages and you're going to Quattraro. I-, I always want to put an r before the t Quatraro, <laughs> who as you say he's the raised bench coach probably very forward thinking going to be listening to the front office for for most of his decisions probably and so that is a big change a uh, big leap forward wh- whereas the more to piccolo might not have been
1: yep exactly
0: cool um up next i did briefly allude to it earlier but the cardinals re-signed adam wadewright uh it'll be a one-year 17.5 million dollar deal 10 million of it deferred i'm gonna go ahead and pull up his numbers but off the top of my head i would uh i would gauge that we'd have the model would have that as a bit of an overpay uh, the deferral helps. The deferral helps it out, certainly, yeah. because that future uh, future uh, future dollars are worth less than present day dollars. That's just time value of money, basic economic concept. Um, but this is also, you know, them making sure they retain their guy. It, we saw them do the exact same thing last off season when they re-signed Molina and Pujols, where they gave them a little bit more than we expected, a little bit more than they probably. Would have gotten on the open market for for just being them but you know they made sure they kept their guys and you know what's a couple million dollars on the fringes here especially given how productive wainwright was this last year i don't i don't expect it to repeat in any way he's 40 now and and it's easy to look at his numbers last year and think they were a little bit fluky but it was still impressive and they're still You know, there is a chance he runs it back, and he's worth every penny of that. Uh, Looks like we have him at negative 7.7, which isn't the best. (laughs) That's actually a little bit more underwater than uh, Pujols or Molina was last year. But uh, the the Cardinals have some money. I don't think this is going to really cost them, and and they get to keep their guy. So no real complaints from me.
1: And the and the main reason is because he's getting older. He's going to be is he already forty one? I think he's already forty one. And there's just not a lot of precedent, you know, uh, for successful guys over their forties. You can think of Rich Hill, you know, Bartolo Colon, and there's not much else, right? But then you think back to the old days of guys in the off season, you know, smoking cigars and drinking and not really staying in shape, right? Now it's different. Everybody stays in shape. And they'd last longer. I don't say everybody, but guys have learned to be smarter about how they treat their bodies. And so sometimes those aging curves are small sample sizes and you know, the old days are gone, so they're not drinking martinis anymore. They're working out, right? So maybe the aging curve thing based on the data we have, you know, could be stepped up a little bit. But then that would mean that every 41 year old could still pitch in the majors, which is not the case, so you're going to get a little bit of an outlier here and there, and he's one of them.
0: Yeah, and there is a there is a benefit to certainty early in the off season, right, where they know he'll be locked he, they know they can pencil him into the rotation, and that means I'm pretty sure I, I can pull it up on roster Resource, but yeah, it, they have a full rotation now. If, if they if they needed to go into the year with the current rotation, they can. They have Wainwright, Michaelis, Montgomery, Matz, and Flaherty. And, you know, you you probably want to upgrade over one of those last two guys. Steven Matz was pretty rough for them last year. Jack Flaherty isn't the guy he used to be, and he's had trouble staying healthy. Uh, but at, if everything else goes wrong in your offseason, or if you need to prioritize other positions of need... Uh, you you can run into the uh, you can run into next season with the five man rotation here set. I'm not saying well, going yeah, to, but you at least have that kind of safety locked in early, and you can you don't have to worry about that the rest of the off season.
1: I, I hear your point. I do. Th- I would feel more comfortable if I were them getting one more durable starter. Doesn't have to be an ace. Just a, like a durable Jordan Montgomery type. Um, because you just can't count on Mats and Flaherty staying healthy. I mean, they just weren't, and they haven't been for a while. Mats has always had injury problems, and Flaherty's, as you mentioned, is even worse uh, in the last couple of years. So you you can't have kind of gaping holes in your four and five slots, of, or guys just gaping holes because they can't start. So you're going to need maybe you can get one promoted internally. Maybe Matthew Librator steps up. Um, you know, maybe another prospect steps up. But those are ifs, right? So you need somebody, you need an innings. In, innings eater that you can count on i think they need to sign one more guy
0: yeah i could see that i, I could see them bringing back jose quintana or, or a guy like him that seems like a great right. fit right i suppose i could see them being a little aggressive on the trade market they were willing to move some big prospects some big names in the juan soto discussions or, or at least reportedly willing to move those guys uh granted i don't think they're making all of those guys available for just anyone if that was because it was juan soto but uh, they have a bit of a prospect surplus. They got a bit of a log jam on the corner infield spots with Jordan Walker is, is a mega prospect. They're not they're not trading him, I don't think, but he's really a natural third baseman, first baseman, and that's blocked by Arenado and Goldschmidt. So you're talking about moving him to left field and Nolan Gorman really didn't play well at second base last year. He's a third baseman, first baseman, so they could move from some of that glut and potentially acquire an, an outside arm, but yeah, they'll they'll have some options, and at least now they have some level of certainty locked in going into the offseason. Yeah, there you go. So from there, let's stick in St. Louis. Uh, another significant piece of news. This one, pretty expected, I'd say, but it actually got a little bit interesting this year. Uh, Nolan Arnato won't be opting out of his contract. He had an additional five years and $144 million on the table. That's a lot of money. <laughs> it's It's not too surprising that uh he uh he did opt into the rest of that contract he's going to be 32 this upcoming season and that's a a pretty sizable deal that takes him through age 37 so it's a lot of money (laughs) and we had uh, part of part of what made the nolan arenado trade happen the way it did was how much money he was owed and uh and his declining performance some of his injury concerns his aging concerns um and so we had him as a below value as an underwater player when he was traded from the rockies to the cardinals which is why the rockies had to kick in some cash help cover his contracts to make that deal fair and so that's that was where he was entering 2021 and then in 2021 he had kind of a disappointing year So it was really looking along those lines as well, and for that entire season, that entire offseason, and most of the 2022 season, we had his value underwater still. Then 2022 comes around, and he was incredible. He's going to be a top three at least MVP finisher because he just had a usual Nolan Arnauto season back to the days of old of elite defense, great offense, playing every day at third base, very valuable player. And so we actually have him as slightly above water now, but that's with, a, with an asterisk, right? Because we have his, for, for trade purposes, we have his salary at $113 million because there's a chunk of money that the Rockies are paying for. So really, his adjusted field value is $120.5 million for the next five years. So we could basically say that's what we would expect him to get on a five-year contract on the open market. And that's at less right. than he's actually going to earn of 144 million. So he's he's still going to earn the 144 million. It's just if a team theoretically were to trade for him from the Cardinals, they would only owe him 113. So that's why that number is different, um, and that's exactly. why he has a positive trade value. But if you were looking at it from a free agent standpoint, he would make less money, th- more likely than not, and it wouldn't make sense for him to opt out. So that's that's how those numbers
1: work out exactly so the the usually the way this works is you know the early years the years where you have surplus value in the later years where it gets negative and that's kind of where he's at despite the fact that he had a really good year this year um he is getting older and you know we've talked about aging curves you know that does project to decline his performance does project to decline he's had some injuries here and there and your risk of injury goes up, and so for those reasons, his field value will start to go down and down and down with each year. And so he's not going to get a better deal than this. Is basically what it boils down to. He's worth 120, we think, on the open market if we, if he were to opt out, and uh, and that's less than 144. So it makes perfect sense to to stay. And he, you know <clears throat> he'll say all the <clears throat> excuse me, he'll say all the right things about St. Louis, but the fact is, he's not getting a better deal.
0: Yeah, and I don't deny that he is enjoying himself there. You know, he's back to his usual Arnado self, and they had a successful year, and it's certainly better than some of the dysfunction he was experiencing in Colorado. Uh, but you're 100% right there that it's about the money. It's always 90 to 99% about the money. Yeah. And yeah, it just lines up for him to stay. Uh, a guy who will opt out, though, is Carlos Correa, which again we've expected this all year he signed a three-year contract with the twins late in the off season he was kind of a victim of the lockout a victim of a pretty competitive shortstop market so the big contract he wanted just wasn't there for him so instead he took an opportunity with the twins it was a three-year deal with an opt-out after each season and this was kind of always the plan you know the additional years on the deal were there in case Correa underperformed or was injured or whatever happened that he didn't look like he was going to receive the big two hundred or three hundred million dollar contract he wants this offseason. And he wasn't quite prime Correa. He wasn't quite the player he was the year before, but he was still very good. He had some cold stretches, some really hot stretches. Uh he finished the year with a very Carlos Correa looking stat line. So there there was some questions you know his, his defense didn't grade out as well as it typically did and maybe not quite as much power and he still missed a handful of games which is pretty typical for him so i don't know if he's quite looking at the 300 million number i, I don't think he is but he's certainly looking at a sizable contract and that's going to be at age 27 it's going to be a long-term deal it's going to be much better than the remaining two years at, at 35 a piece that he had um on the twins deal so makes all the sense in the world for him to opt out uh reportedly the twins are trying to work with him trying to get him to stay i don't know if that's gonna happen but we're gonna have to wait and see it just just in general makes makes sense here not a whole lot to uh to contend here
1: yeah you know to the surprise of no one we all knew that minnesota was kind of a way station for him we're like okay all right i'll give it a year yeah can't be thirty five million or whatever you know, and then you know no one's surprised that he's opt out so on paper he's he's worth forty two uh next year and around forty the year after he's still in his prime he's only gonna be twenty eight next year, so he's he's fine um you know he has had some injury issues in the past, but he's been reasonably healthy the last year or two, so those concerns are a little bit assuaged um so he just wants to get that big fat paycheck that's gonna be the main thing right. You know, the main one that will last him for, maybe he doesn't go as far as Lindor to age 37, but maybe like 35. Big chunk of change, maybe that starts with a two-ish, you know, um, because he is worth that. And as I said earlier, the fat part of the contract will be the surplus one. So he wants that one where he's making a, a, a decent chunk of change for several years. So, um, you know, this year's free agent class is arguably as strong as last year's. Uh, perhaps even more so when you consider you don't have kind of volatile guys like Baez in the market. You have guys like you know Trey Turner has been very consistent, and now Dansby Swanson, who's been at least consistent as a sort of a, a goodish player, and he, he turned in his best year, so he's on the market. So you've got some competition now, um, but at the same time, Alexander Bogarts is probably going to opt out, so there's a big there's a big name there. So he's still got some competition. Um, I get the sense though that he also wants to play, you know, in the limelight a little bit more. He's a limelight kind of guy. You see him on MLB Network. He likes the, he likes the the trappings of media attention, and you're not gonna really get that in Minneapolis. <laughs> so I can see him in a big market.
0: Yeah, and I honestly think it's a much larger factor because it, obviously the the market is crowded with with top flight free agent shortstops once again, and, and you could go down the list and do compare a versus B, you know, okay. Seeger was the top guy last off season. Is he better or worse than Turner, blah, blah, blah. You, you can go down the line and try and compare that. But I think that's splitting hairs. I think it's a much bigger factor that there's going to be a full off season. There's not going to be weird lockout mumbo jumbo, messing things up and everybody scrambling to find a team and find their players in the last two weeks before the season starts. And, that i think that more than the crowded shortstop market is what hurt him last year because yeah. if if you're a good player there's going to be a team that needs you and, that, and that's going to pay you the money you know that's there's going to be a team that likes him more than they like swanson and pays up for it because it's kind of a game of musical chairs you know all these teams are going to need a shortstop and supply and demand <laughs> so I, I think the, the long off season is a really or the the normal off season, I guess I should say, is a really big factor here It allow him to take his time, find his deal, find his fit, and allow the teams to do the same thing, find out how he is going to fit into their budget, into their roster construction, et cetera.
1: Yeah, well said. Uh the lockout was a big big issue for him. Absolutely. All right. I
0: think last piece of news here. Uh, It's another superstar looking for a big contract. It's Rafael Devers and the Red Sox. They've been discussing their extension, and as of most recent reports, there's still a pretty big gap. Um, I'm pretty sure the latest numbers we heard from him, uh, about him, was prior to the 2021 season, or excuse me, 2022 season. And it was a very low ball offer that the Red Sox were putting on the table to him, I think a similar report came out at the same time that they were lowballing Xander Bogarts. It was very clearly like not an actual competitive offer. It was just, hey, we're going to throw this out there and see if you bite. This is going to be our starting point kind of a thing. Uh, but now Devers, I believe he's entering his last year of team control. Um, yeah, he's entering his last year of team control. He's going to get a hefty arbitration salary, $16.9 million, uh projected by Matt Swartz. And he's gonna want a lot more than that in his in his big contract. He's reportedly looking for something ten million in three hundred or ten years three hundred million dollars plus. Don't quite know if he's gonna get it as a guy who the Red Sox are probably worried about might need to shift to first base d h in a few years uh but the bat is elite. he's a very talented player, and it would be a really tough look for the Red Sox if they traded bets and they let Bogarts walk. And they either traded or lost Devers to free agency. That would be a really tough look for one of the financial powerhouses of the league. So I, my gut tells me something will get done here. He feels like the guy they keep more so than Bogarts. It's just a cleaner fit, I think. But if the gap is this large, I mean, things can come together quickly. We only got a year left and who knows if he's a guy who wants to negotiate in season. Uh, Probably not the best news for them to be so far apart right now, though.
1: No, but here's the thing. He has all the leverage, right? Because he's about to hit free agency next year. So he can just wait. So he can just tell the Red Sox, you know what? I'm good. I can make $16 million or $17 million this year, and I'm going to wait it out. And the other thing is he's young. He's just finished his age 25 season. He'll be 26 this coming season. So he'll hit free agency at that age coming into his 27 So he's still very much in his prime and will be for a couple more years. So again, he has all the leverage. So, and I agree with you, you know, for all of the, uh, you know heim bloom was hired to make the red sox more efficient and smarter and bring the rays kind of analytical thinking to it so the anti Dabrowski, if you will who's not just sort of winging it wheeling and dealing and overpaying for for superstars he's the he's the antithesis of that in at least in terms of his reputation and perception by the, by the public and so if he were to let devers walk and bogart's walk or not walk but not extend devers and let bogart's walk in the same year It would just sort of reinforce that impression of him as the sort of, you know, anti-superstar guy. I don't think he wants that. I don't think that's true of him. I think he knows he's working with a bigger budget, and I think he can work something out. And so maybe that's a motivation as well on his part to at least keep Devers. I don't think he has any shot at keeping Bogart because that train has already left the station. But he does have a shot with Devers, so I think that's where the focus will be. Uh, to your point, he's not going to overpay for him necessarily too much like a Dabrowski would because he is probably going to end up at first in his later years. So they've got to factor that in. And hopefully Devers have, has some give. Hopefully he likes Boston for their sake so that he can get some sort of uh, concession out of him that he's willing to make a deal. But it's going to be pretty close to what he would make as a free agent because at this point he's so close to free agency that that's what he's going to want. So I have no problem with him demanding a big number because he should and you know it's all part of negotiation and so it's just a matter of how close you can get to that if the Boston can meet his number then I think we've got a deal
0: yeah I think I think you can really excuse them if they do let Bogarts walk I think that one's really really defensible he's not a great defender at shortstop you figure he'll have to move to second base at some point even though he very clearly doesn't want to he very clearly wants to stay as a shortstop um but moving to second base would just be less value. Plus, they have Trevor Story locked up. And, and we discussed on a previous episode how his defense has been declining and his arm strength has been declining. And he might be a better fit at second base going forward as well. So you don't want both of those guys on your roster. Plus, Bogarts' offensive profile just doesn't strike me as the type that has a lot of room to fall. You know, he's he's a very contact-oriented player. And if if he loses a little bit of power, he just... The offensive value just goes down a little bit, you know. If he's a if he's a 280, 15 homer a year guy, that's just not quite as exciting, and that's I I think he's going to cost you more than a guy like that should. So I think it's defensible to let him walk. The Bets one is a tough one to look at. It's a tough one to defend. I I, there was some controversy and some discussion about whether Bets wanted to stay and if he was. You know, if he was even going to sign a fair contract to stick around and, and if there's an ownership mandate that, hey, we're not going to approve this contract, we're not going to extend this guy, then you're Heim bloom. You're kind of just stuck making the deal that nobody wants to have to make and and you got to go get some value for him if you don't think your team is competitive. Uh, but Devers, Devers seems like a, a guy that they should be able to come to an agreement on and he seems like a perfect kind of bridge player. They have a lot of really good young talent coming up through the farm and some decent young players at the big league level. He seems like the kind of guy that could bridge that together and be around for the next competitive Red Sox cycle and and lead a team with Marcelo Mayer and Nick York and Tristan Cassis and and all these other talented players they have coming up through the system.
1: Yeah, and again, he's going to be 26 next year, so he's still young enough to be part of that next core. So they absolutely have to keep him if, if. If they want to, I do think he, he he has value as that sort of next clubhouse leader kind of guy for that next core, to your point. All the more reason why they have to. I agree. Okay, so that's all for the
0: news for this time. Uh John, you wrote an article. <laughs> it's about the non-tender candidates we have from each team. As I explained at the start of the episode, uh, the projections from Matt Swartz, and MLB trade rumors came out for arbitration. <laughs> and we've input all of those updated salary projections into the model and uh, some of them have had a, a trickle down you know for future seasons if, if their first year of arbitration was higher or lower than expected uh, then it would also impact future years as well but specifically this is just looking at for 2022 or excuse me for the 2022 to 2023 offseason uh, which of these guys are in the negative you know they're they're arbitration value their expected arbitration salary is higher than their expected surplus value or excuse me their expected field value for uh the 2023 season and and that theoretically means that they should be non-tender candidates there are plenty of edge cases here where you know if a guy's close to zero you know if he's just a little bit negative but you believe in him or he's a good roster fit for you or he has some upside that you that that you want to take another chance on uh, there's an argument to keep those kind of guys, and, and there's a lot of those we'll get to on this list. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'll stop talking and let you start where you <laughs> want to on this.
1: Yeah, so I took a little bit more liberty with this because a lot, you know, non-tenders means you're in your arbitration years, but I included some guys who are pre-ARB as well, who are you have no surplus value or in some cases negative, just because I, I wanted to sort of make the point. I wanted to widen the scope a little bit to like guys on the roster who have no surplus value is basically what it is um who are who are not under fixed contracts which means you have the ability to just cut them loose so this is kind of a potential cut list in a larger sense um i bolded some names in the article that i thought were a little bit bigger the the biggest one obviously is Cody bellinger of the dodgers um i don't know anyone who personally in the industry who thinks the dodgers are going to tender him because two years of massive underperformance you know is just not it's not cutting it so it's time to cut 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 the cord here and you know matt schwartz estimates him for 18 million 18.1 for his production in the last couple of years you know it's just not happening um i did catch um you know really great article on prospects live by one of their new contributors got named tieran um who is very smart and who kind of Breaks down what happened to Cody Bellinger and figures out whether he can get it back or not. And the answer is, yeah, maybe, but not for eighteen million. um He thinks the leg injury that he that he incurred it was not the shoulder injury necessarily. It was a leg injury that happened on a on a close play at first a couple of years ago that really messed him up and messed up his stance. And that's his thesis, which maybe there's something to that. But anyway, it's been a couple of years and it hasn't been fixed yet. So I don't think the Dodgers are going to waste any more time and money on it. Uh, so he's the biggest name. Um, Keston Hura has been on it a couple of times. He's on the list again. Uh, we mentioned Hunter Renfro. Perfectly good player. He's worth exactly what he's getting paid. You know, he's estimated for 11.2, and that's exactly what his field value is. So for teams who want to compete, and if the Brewers decide they want to compete, sure, you can keep him. He's worth it um you don't. i'm not saying you have to cut these players i'm just saying this is your list to talk about if you're in the, if you're in the front office um so you know uh, a lot of these guys are fringy names that you would expect a lot of relievers a lot of bench guys who are just getting a little too expensive in their arm two and arm three years they're just not worth it there's guys who are you know out of options guys who used to be prospects but just haven't delivered like corbin martin of the diamondbacks uh Paven smith of the diamondbacks is on this list as well uh another interesting name is brian anderson of the marlots who has really declined the last couple of years and it really surprised me to find that we had him at zero um that's kind of brutal I and mean, he was kind of their their guy a couple of years ago he's kind of stuck stuck with the team too thick and thin and but he's just getting to the point now where he's getting too expensive for what he delivers He's, he's lost all his trade value. The Marlins, unfortunately, have a lot of guys that have their field value is below what they are making. And when you factor in options and other things and position, Joey Wendell's now on the list. Cole Solcer, Tanner Scott, two guys they traded for last offseason are on the list. Jacob Stelling's a catcher that they traded for, is also on the list coming off a brutally bad year. So some interesting stuff there. Um I do think it's also, there's a couple of guys that have just like, it's time to cut the court. Dominic Smith of the Mets, Victor Robles of the Nationals, just not hitting. Maybe because they can afford to give him playing time, maybe something will change, but it doesn't look good. Um, you know, guys like that who have just like run out of chances. Uh, Nick Senzel of the Reds, I think it's time to say he's a bust. You know, it's it's a disappointing list to be sure. Um, guys like uh, Brad Keller of the Royals, he's now owed $7 million. He's coming off a pretty bad year, replacement-level year, and he's never been much of a stuff guy. So the question is, would anybody want him at that price? It's debatable. Uh, Emilio Pagan of the Twins, who kept getting traded a lot, which is which is a, always a red flag, and he's been bad for the last couple of years. He hasn't had a good year since 2019. I think it's time for the Twins to not tender him. Um, I do have Isaiah kiner uh, kind of of from the Yankees on here. Uh, he's due to make 6.5 and I don't think it's worth that. He's a light hitting infielder. He's really a utility guy. They've been playing it short. Um, he's just not, according to our model, worth that. Doesn't mean he's a bad player to have on your team. He's just not worth what he's making. Uh, same goes for Lou Trevino of the Yankees who uh, they, they got from the A's in a trade. He's okay. Maybe not worth 4.2 but he's okay. So there's guys like that who are going to be like borderline calls depending on your strategy do you want them to be do you want the field value that they have at that price or would you rather spend that money elsewhere that's really the subject of the conversation yeah there's there's kind of two categories here that i'm
0: really interested in the first one is players who the team just recently traded for and it kind of goes into that sunk cost fallacy idea you know where the A's just traded for Christian Pache, and he's a non-tender candidate already. And, and he's one of those pre-arb types that you called on. And it seems pretty likely they'll hang on to him because it's not like they have a much better use for the roster spot right now. Uh, but as you explained, he, he'll be DFA'd next year if he doesn't put it together. That seems pretty likely. It's hard to see him. He's out of options. It's hard to see him sticking on the roster. Uh, but looking c- continuing down this list, you know, the Blue Jays with Rymel Tapia. The Brewers, you mentioned Hunter Renfro, but also Matt Bush, who they traded for at the deadline. Uh, They're they're listed as non-tender candidates. Uh, Scrolling down more, we're looking at the Mariners, Abraham Toro. They traded for him uh, last season. The Marlins have a bunch of these guys. Tanner Scott, Jacob Stallings, Cole Sulcer, Joey Wendell. Um, Scrolling, scrolling. The Nationals with Luke Voigt. The Padres with Jorge Alfaro. The... Ray, well, we'll get to the Rays in a second, I think. Um, Let's see. The Rockies with Nelson Lamette, That one's a little bit different. The Tigers with Austin Meadows. That's really interesting. The Twins with Emilio Pagan. And then the Yankees, you mentioned, with Kiner Falefa and with Trevino. And especially interesting within that group, to me, are looking at Emilio Pagan and, uh, who's the other one, Uh, Jorge Alfaro, where these players had... We, we had them as non-tender candidates when the teams traded for them. So it, it kind of adds this other element of, you know, we already kind of thought they were, they weren't worth as much as they were being paid. And the team went out of their way to go ahead and, and pay them that full amount. But now it's that salary is increasing even more and they didn't have the greatest of seasons. So is it, are they going to cut bait? Is it, are, are you done with them? And especially, Especially interesting to me is Austin Meadows of the Tigers because he did nothing for them this year and again it's it's sunk cost fallacy you know you you gave up a pretty decent prospect for him and Isaac Paredes and you know the Tigers don't have a lot going on offensively and Meadows has historically been a, a solid offensive contributor he's getting more expensive but do you, do you just bite the bullet you kind of have to take that gamble on him I don't know so Those guys are all really interesting to me. That's kind of my first point is these guys who were just traded for. And then there's two teams I want to look at in particular. The first is the Rays. They have a whole bunch of names here. Sean Armstrong, Yanni Chirinos, G. Choi, Francisco Mejia, Luis Patino, Colin Poche, Roman Quinn, Luke Rayleigh, Ryan Yarbrough. So my first point on that is there's some really talented names here. Some former top prospects looking at Mejia and Patino and Chirinos was... uh, previously a a solid contributor for them and so those are going to be some tough decisions to make but also we talk all the time about how the Rays have so much need for for constant roster turnover roster churn since they have so many talented prospects that need to be protected from the rule five draft and so there's a lot of guys on this list that will be cut specifically to make room for those guys so they can they can protect their prospects on the flip side of that if we look at the Cleveland Guardians, they don't have any non-tender candidates here. And, you know, you, you initially might think of that as a good thing. You know, that, that means that all of their arbitration-eligible players are guys they should keep. You know, they're, they're worth more than their salary is going to be in arbitration. That theoretically means that they're positive producers for the team. But on the flip side of it, the Guardians have a ton of guys they need to protect from the Rule 5 draft and they don't have any of these easy cuts that's like okay let, let's get this guy out of here there's a roster spot boom they don't have that so they're going to have some tough decisions to make this off
1: season yeah totally um yeah that's that's probably worth another article in itself i know i wrote one about them last year making the same point and there wasn't a rule of 5 they added a whole bunch of guys to protect but now they've got a whole bunch more guys to protect. So, like, mm. something's got to give there. Uh, definitely a roster crunch in Cleveland, again. Um, so, um, just a couple more sort of observations here. So, sometimes, to your point, sometimes we're a year early. I remember when we had Nomar Mazzara on this list. And I think he was still with the Rangers at the time. But they ended up giving him one more shot. And then and then they basically dumped him in a trade to the White Sox for a minor prospect. And then... He's been a journeyman, been around ever since. So, so, you know, our track record on this list has actually been very good. You know, a lot of guys who are obvious ended up getting non-tendered. And some guys, we were just a year early on, the guy in the team said, you know what, there's maybe something else we could try with them. So they give one more chance, but then it doesn't happen. And so, like, I make the point here that Dominic Smith should have been non-tendered last year, you know, did nothing again this year. And, you know, he's on the hook. They'd be on the hook for $4, four million at least this again this year. I just don't see it happening for a guy who's just been below average you know, for several years now. Um, so, yeah, and to the other point, <clears throat> sometimes it's a mark of kind of front office sort of kudos if they don't have anybody on this list, but it may be other factors as well. Um, I mean, certainly the Rays obviously know how to run a front office, and they got a lot of guys on this list, and that's just because... You know, there's a lot of churn on there. That's just the way they roll, right? Um, I'll point out the pirates. The pirates have a lot of names on this list. And mostly it's because they're kind of doing the giants thing in kind of their own ways. Like, let's try this guy. Yeah, no, let's try that guy. You know, they're just throwing spaghetti at the wall. Uh, Andrew Har, Crow, Tyler Heinemann, whatever. You know, <laughs> like in, in most of these guys are just not cutting it. So... You know, and as the prospects come up, you know, I don't think they're going to spend much money on these guys that have been journeymen of placeholder types. Um, so, you know, it's situations like that, I think, you know, where you're going to see some, you know, a lot of cuts.
0: Yeah, I want to second that, that it's not necessarily a sign of bad process or anything like that, that you do have a lot of non-tender candidates because, you know, there's the situations like the Pirates, like you just mentioned, where they are taking a lot of chances on guys seeing what happens and and they can do that because of the situation that they're in currently there's teams like the rays that are constantly tinkering constantly making all these moves at the edge of their roster trying to improve every little spot the little bit they can and sometimes when those guys just get a little bit more expensive it's time or, or when they don't work out or, or anything like that yeah it's time to move on from them uh, and then kind of the third case is looking at the marlins there's a lot of quality baseball players on this list you know maybe they had rough seasons in 2022 specifically but brian anderson eliezer hernandez tanner scott jacob stallings cole Sulcer, joey wendell those are all decent players if they get non-tendered they're gonna get a big league job somewhere and so it's not necessarily that the marlins have all these bad players they need to cut it's just that you know arbitration sped up a little bit You know, their their salaries sped up and their production dropped a little bit. Now they're just not worth as much as they're projected to get via this system in place. So they're not necessarily bad players. And and like I said, I think all of those guys would get a big league deal. Maybe not Elias or Hernandez, but I think all the others would get a big league deal if they hit the open market, just not for the values that they're projected to earn
1: in arbitration. Right. That's right. A lot of these guys will get non-tendered, but then sign with another team at a lower level you can see cody bellinger somebody will sign him we think he's worth maybe seven million for one year give him a shot at that level and see if he can turn it around somebody will do that
0: yeah for sure i could even see somebody going to you know 10 million for him just because he's if if he is if and when he is non-tendered he's going to be an attractive buy low candidate for all these teams that think they're being smart you know (laughs) all right Uh, do you have anything else on the non-tenders before we move on
1: I mean, and yeah, just to that last point, you could see a rebuilding team like the Nationals or the A's saying, you know, have very low budgets, by the way, saying, okay, we'll give him a shot and maybe flip him at the deadline, right? You know, because if he's a buy low, that's what you're always thinking from an investment point of view. If we can kind of buy low, you know, get a little bit more value out of him than flip him at the deadline for a prospect or two, that's a good business decision. So some of these guys will end up in that category, too.
0: Yeah, I think so. Okay, uh we have about a half hour and we have 6 teams to talk about, so we're going to we're going to move with some haste here. <laughs> we got we got about 5 minutes a team here. Uh so we're going to be running through all the teams that were eliminated in the division series as well as the championship series. We're going to go ahead. I didn't pick any specific order for these, but it's the first tab I have open. Let's start with the Guardians. So we were just talking about them a little bit. They were the youngest team in baseball. They really weren't expected to contend by anybody. Everybody was looking at the White Sox for that division, or maybe the Twins. Nobody really had the Guardians winning it, but they did. They made it all about their different brand of baseball, and they hit for contact, and they get on base, and they don't worry about homers, and, and they're just different than everyone else. And that really wasn't it. <laughs> and you know, they got knocked out by uh, who? Did, they got knocked out by the Yankees and, and the Astros. Uh, they're they're still playing in the World Series, and the Astros have a very similar contact-heavy approach, but also with power, and it makes them the best team in the game, one of the best teams in the game, so uh, power's good, and the Guardians know that. As as an organization, they know that. Their social media, we can talk about that, but um, it's a very solid team. As I mentioned, it's the youngest team in baseball, and a lot of these guys are still very cheap, and they're going to be around for a handful of years. They have Jose Ramirez locked up now after their uh, extension last offseason. They have Emmanuel Classe on an absolute bargain of a contract. He looks like the best closer in baseball right now. Stephen Kwan's a stud. Shane Bieber had a great bounce back year. Andres Jimenez broke out. Tristan McKenzie, similar story. They've just got a lot of talent at the big league level, a lot of young talent at the big league level. And as we mentioned, they have a whole lot of it coming up the pipeline. They got Daniel Espino as a stud. George Valera. Uh, Bo Naylor is a top young catcher coming up, Brian Rocio, all kinds of talent up and down this system. The only problem is they don't have enough spots to put all these talented players. They're going to have to make some moves, uh, particularly their infield is going to be very crowded. Um, you could see Ahmed Rosario being a trade candidate, probably not moving Jimenez after the season he just had, but Rosario and and some of their younger middle infielders that haven't made the bigs yet, those are potential trade candidates. Um, but this is a team that has, you know, if, if they wanted to run a decent budget, like a like a respectable budget comparable to other teams, they would have a ton of budget room right now and a ton of prospects to move from. So they really could seize this opportunity and make their team a
1: lot better this offseason. Yeah, we have a lot of dedicated fans on our site, on our trade boards, and a lot of commenters who are Cleveland Guardians fans. And so they're very active, uh, both in proposing trades and commenting on trades and... You know get into a lot of very heated discussions Uh, so Mm -hmm. um so they're very well aware of what's going on and the roster crunch to come and who might be a candidate to go you know tyler freeman nolan jones some of these guys that are sort of like you know Still kind of prospect ish, but maybe haven't made a name for themselves quite yet. Maybe make room for a couple more guys who need to be added. There's going to be a lot of interesting sort of give and take uh, decisions going on there like that. But I think it's an opportunity for other clubs to sniff around and say, okay, what do you got? <laughs> you know, and. Um, Especially a club that needs young middle infielders might be interested in Tyler Freeman or a Gabriel Arias or somebody like that. Uh, Rosario seems to be a, prop, a popular name in our trade boards in terms of uh, candidates because he only has one year of control left. Maybe two out Um uh, But he was a clubhouse leader and he really kind of like stepped up this year as kind of one of their main guys. So maybe Cleveland won't want to mess with that. They had a good thing going there so they've got to think about that i'm not a big chemistry guy myself but i think maybe they will think about like how do we fit these pieces together in the most optimal way not just on a spreadsheet but also in the clubhouse so um it's gonna be a lot of decisions i think they're in a great place though because it's a good problem to have right all of their guys are under team control for years they're all on the young side or most of them are Uh, the one thing i would say is you know, their typical sort of next man up kind of pitching operation it wasn't quite as elite as it has been in the past. You know, Quantrill's okay. X okay. Sivali got hit pretty pretty hard in the playoffs. Like, they could use a little bit more help on the pitching side, I think. You can't just rely on the magic as much because some of these guys are just, they just don't have the upside for that. So they need a little help there. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. I've been trying to rack my brain for some Potential fits that could make sense. I'm sure there's some obvious ones I'm missing, but the first one that's coming to mind is is maybe a smaller deal with the A's. Maybe Seth Brown is available. He can play some corner outfield, first base for the Guardians, which is a couple of positions of weakness for them, and and maybe they throw over a, a an infield prospect or or something along those lines. Uh, again, smaller deal. Just the first one that comes to mind. Uh, the two teams talked presumably a good amount last off season about Matt Olson and it just didn't happen. So they might be familiar there and uh, Ramon Laureano isn't happening. His value has tanked so much. It doesn't make sense for the A's to sell low on him right now. So um, that, that was really the only one that came up off the top of my head. I'm struggling to think of other young outfielders well, or not young outfielders <laughs> necessarily, but quality outfielders that would be available this off season. I, I haven't taken a full look at it yet. So I'm struggling to think of anything yeah. the top of My mind. I
1: think, I think with the emergence of Quan. And to some degree, Oscar Gonzalez, you know, they're not struggling as much for upfield help as they used to be um, like, yeah, maybe they could, but, but, you know, maybe one more guy, but, you know, <clears throat> they've, they, they're okay there. Um, I do think they need to fill a hole in Ketcher. They're losing Austin Hedges and Ketcher has been a weak spot for them anyway. So lots of rumors about them being interested in Sean Murphy or Danny Jansen. Danny Jansen will be the cheaper of the two, but he only has two years of control doesn't stay healthy a lot and so you get what you pay for basically murphy i think would be a better fit but he's obviously going to cost them a lot more and that's always debated on our trade boards so but something like that i can see happening as well
0: yeah then it's just a question of you know do they do they want to spend their resources to go out and get a murphy or are they just gonna would they maybe prefer the cheaper option in jansen and use him as kind of a bridge to bow nailer because i do know they like him a lot behind the plate so yeah. yeah that's a good call though that catcher probably should be their priority all right well expect more about the guardians in the future i think john needs to <laughs> is going to revisit his guardians article from last year now that uh they didn't do anything to solve <laughs> the problem and the problem has only gotten worse um <laughs> uh, moving on to the next team the los angeles dodgers who would have thought they would be bounced this this early in the playoffs they got knocked out by the padres who won like 20 less games than they did um there's not a whole lot to, I mean, there's a whole lot to talk about here. Don't get me wrong. The the, the Dodgers have some interesting questions heading into this offseason. They're losing Clayton Kershaw to free agency, potentially. Same with uh, Trey Turner. Justin Turner, I, I believe, is a free agent as well, and he's only getting older. Um, so they, they are losing some key players, but they're just such an impressive organization. They have so much talent still within the organization, even if those guys all walk and, and they don't resign any of them you know they they have a decent enough lineup if you're starting with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman that that's a pretty solid start there not to mention Will Smith and and Max Muncie and some of the other names they still have there Um, but it's it's pretty clear this offseason maybe more so than some previous offseasons that they have some needs there we mentioned that they're going to be non-tendering Cody Bellinger most likely and so they will they could really use some outfield stability. Their rotation could use some help. They're a team that usually likes to have seven or eight guys that are ready to go. And right now they don't quite have that. They've had some injury questions really up and down the whole rotation. Um, so they're going to have some work to do. You know, they lost uh, Walker Bueller to injury. And Tony Gonsolin was hurt in the latter half of the season. Dustin May just got back. What are you expecting from him workload-wise, you know? So they have, I think, more questions than we typically see from them. Last off season, it was, all right, Stan Pat and, whoops, Freddie Freeman fell into our laps. Cool, we have him now. This offseason is going to be very different for them.
1: No question. Just looking at roster resource, they're starting left fielder right now. is projected to be Trace Thompson. Assuming they non-tender Bellinger, I don't know who their center fielder is, you know? james outman (laughs) you know there's there's some holes there uh they're losing trey turner so are they going to shift Lux to short that's what roster resource has right now i don't think that's set in stone you know put chris taylor at second i mean you know obviously those guys are are versatile um but you need some bigger names this is the dodgers we're talking about this marquee team they love big names so they're gonna they're gonna be in the market for a big name or two or three um i do think they've got some work to do in the rotation as well. Uh, they got Julio Urias back. Gonsolin had a good year. Uh, Dustin may still have some question marks, but, you know, he'd just come back from Tommy John, and they were just sort of working him back slowly, giving him some bullpen work. But assuming he's back to full health, you, you, they're rejecting him as a starter, but he's really done it ever in a full year. So you wonder how many in, innings he can take coming off of that. And then... They've got Ryan Pepio and Michael Gro. I mean, these are rookies who are totally unproven. So they're gonna need at least one, probably two more starters. They'll probably walk and um, Bueller's out, but Clayton Kershaw is kind of their Adam Wainwright, right? He's their guy. As he gets older, they keep re-signing him to another one-year contract and another one-year contract. I don't know how much more you can do, but he's still got it in him. I think for another year, so I expect them to do that. Um, the bu- the bullpen's okay. Not sure if they need like a, a marquee closer. Um you know, they had Kimbrel, didn't quite work out. Maybe maybe Blake Trinan comes back and plays that role as he has in the past, but you know, there's some there's some question there as well. So across the board, they've got stuff to do.
0: And and they're a little bit in that met spot as well, where you know there's only so much higher the payroll can go. And Kimbrell's going to come off the books and Kershaw is, but you probably want to bring Kershaw back and Turner comes off the books, but you might want to bring him back and he'll cost even more than he did before. Bellinger's coming off, but you're going to need to find a solution for a replacement for him. And that might not be cheap. And then on the prospect side of things, they they're kind of low in that range that we usually see teams like them trade. You know, they, they have a handful of guys in the 4 million to 7 million range and they got pepio at 11.9, but you might want him as rotation depth. Uh, they've got Gavin Stone, who they just drafted at 19.7. You're probably not moving him right after you drafted him. You probably drafted him because you really like him. Andy Pajes, they've hung on to for a while. Same with Miguel Vargas. Uh, they're both at about 25. Uh, and we can lump michael bush in there as well at 27 those are guys that they've hung on to and typically with the dodgers that means that they really believe in them and they don't want to trade them they think they're going to be the next wave of big league contributors Um, and then you get to to bobby miller who is very highly regarded in the organization i don't think they want to trade him and then you get to the diego cartaya question where he's their best prospect their most valuable but they already have Will Smith at that position in the majors. And so, how do they want it to work that out? Or are, are they really going to trade a player Is a prospect is highly regarded as Cartaya? And if so, what are they getting back for him? Is that the headliner of a Brian Reynolds trade? I don't think so, because the Pirates have plenty at catcher in their organization as well. So, a lot of questions on both ends of it. You know, they can't necessarily just spend to solve all of their problems, but they also don't really have the type of prospects to trade that they have in years past that could solve their problems that way. So it's going to be, they're going to have to thread the needle a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could see them bringing up Bobby Miller. He's pretty close, but again, he's unproven just like the other guys I mentioned are. So they're probably just going to spend a little time kind of working those guys in in spring training early part of the year, seeing who sticks, you know, but they can't count on them is the point. So they're going to have to go with, reliable free agent types they're gonna have to spend some money i think to your point they just don't have quite the the prospect depth that to bring up um and from a trade perspective you know i think it's hard for them to trade some of these guys Uh, now they pulled the trigger in the past so they're not afraid to do it um but it's a little trickier this year than it is before because they don't have as much capital to work with
0: definitely all right, moving on to the next team, the Seattle Mariners. They finally did it. Finally broke the playoff drought. Happy for them. They played a ridiculous game to <laughs> the game 3 of their ALDS just went went it was two games long <laughs> and scoreless <laughs> the whole way until Jeremy Peña broke their hearts. Um but there's a lot to be excited about in Seattle. Obviously, there's the Julio of it all <laughs> and and the playoff uh, drought ending but there's just a ton of talent on this roster and it's all it's all locked up it's it's all pretty young you're starting with Julio and then they have a whole rotation that's looking pretty good they locked up they traded for and locked up Luis Castillo uh Logan Gilbert looks like a stud so does George Kirby um they, they they've got Robbie Ray around still that quite hasn't worked out yet but you'd expect him to at least be a decent arm for them going forward for the next couple of years then um, they can fill out that, back, that fifth spot with either Chris Flexen or Marco Gonzalez, or, or maybe Emerson Hancock can turn a corner. His stock has fallen a little bit, but maybe he steals that spot. Matt Brash could, could make an attempt for that as well. So their the rotation is pretty set. I don't think that's a, a spot they'll, they'll need to make a, a large addition to this offseason. And their bullpen's pretty solid, too. Andres Munoz is a stud, he throws as hard as anyone. Eric Swanson really looks like a, a, a guy now. <laughs> and Penn Murphy was pretty successful for them. Uh, Paul Sewald is really underrated. Diego Castillo, maybe not his best season, but he's solid. So the bullpen, honestly, the entire pitching staff, they don't need to do much to it. They might add a depth arm here or there, but it's, it's pretty set. The offense is yeah. a little lackluster, but there's also maybe not a, a natural position to upgrade uh adam frazier will be a free agent he played a lot at second base for them and so maybe that's a spot they look at they're they're pretty set on jp crawford being their shortstop and i think there was a report that came out that they're talking to and looking into the top free agent infielders on the market including you know the correas bogarts turners etc uh but they're only they only want a guy who would be okay shifting to second base because they love crawford at shortstop and I don't know if is shifting to second. We already know that Bogarts really doesn't want to shift to second. Maybe Turner, since he's played some second base for the Dodgers last year. Uh, but, but even that, you know, we, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves with that. That's a big contract commitment. Uh, and, and there's going to be plenty of competition for Turner. Uh, it, it seems more realistic they go a little bit lower end there.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Uh... To your point, they need offense, right? So if you look at their lineup, it really drops off after, like, the five spot. Even the five spot is Jesse Winker, who had a terrible season. But then you've got question marks. Jared Kalanick, is he turning it around or not? Is he there or not there? Like, what do you got there? His stock has fallen dramatically because he just hasn't put it together. A lot of a lot of issues with his bat. You know, um, because Adam Frazier's in a free agency, they were penciled in Dylan Moore, who's really a utility kind of bench guy. So they need somebody there, you know, like a, like a a free agent guy who they can plug in at second. Taylor Trammell, he's a fourth outfielder. He shouldn't be starting in right. Um, so you've got some upgrades to make on a couple of slots there. Um, Kyle Lewis, word on the street is his knees are, like, I don't know if you can count on much again from him, sadly. Um, so, the, you know, roster resources has him as a bench guy. I don't think you can rely on him to... Be much more than that until he proves that he can, and I think it's a long shot at this point. Um, so starting pitching looks pretty good on paper. Bullpen looks pretty good on paper. I think it's all about the offense. Uh, they don't have a lot of prospect capital to work with because they traded so much of it, especially overpaying for Castillo. Um, so they mostly wiped out the farm. I mean, yes, there's a couple of names in there, but they're in the five to six range. They're not in the forty-ish range that Marte was, you know. So um, they're not gonna get a lot in the trade market because there's not a lot of capital to work with. So they're gonna have to spend some money in frequency. And Jerry DePoto knows that. And they've got some money. You know, they've got the whole Pacific Northwest and some of Canada locked up. So they've got great attendance, great fan base, you know, so they've got some, you know, revenue to work with. So I think they're gonna be spending in free agent this year.
0: Yeah, I agree they maybe have room for a trade or two around the margins to just,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, they, they can move a couple of these guys, but you're right. They have a very weak farm system now after all the moves they've already made. Um, they at least need us figure out one outfield spot. I think, I mean, I don't think you feel good going into next off season with the current outfield contingent outside of Julio, you know, you're, you're really expecting, Two of Winker, Kelnick, and Lewis to be substantially, and, and I guess Trammell, Um mm-hmm. you're expecting two of those guys to be substantially better than they were this year, and I don't think that's realistic. Um, Kelnick in particular, he's giving me he's giving me Michael Taylor vibes, not Michael A. <laughs> Taylor with the uh, with the Royals right now. Is he still with the Royals? Right, right. So yeah, not not that one. He's giving me A's Michael Taylor vibes, where he <laughs> just keeps hanging around because he keeps killing it in the minors, and you know just prototypical quad a player i'm not yeah. writing Kellenic off as that quite yet but it's it's the sense i'm getting from him right now i really think he can put it together but he's running out of time here uh, he's running out of options so yeah you're right they definitely have some work to do on the offensive side i would love to i mean they've, they've been very aggressive so far it's a depoto team and it, and it seems like the ownership is behind him and, you know they've allowed him to lock up Castillo for a pretty sizable contract and the mega contract for Julio Rodriguez. So it seems like there might be some, some money available. They might be able to pull a bit of a Padres and push into a new spending territory. And so, yeah, maybe a guy like Trey Turner really does do a lot for this team. I think he really steps up the lineup, steps up the defense and you get him, you get a decent outfield solution and this team maybe actually competes with the Astros for the division title. It, it's tough to really say that about anyone because the Astros are so dang good and it's hard to see them getting much worse <laughs> in the near future. Uh, but there's an avenue here if, if the Mariners are willing to open the checkbooks.
1: Yeah, and they're also a team that often looks to Asia for uh, for candidates. Um, I know I, I'm not an expert in the Asian market at all, but they have a long history of signing Asian, Asian players, so that could be an avenue for them as well
0: right right now uh it's primarily it's kodai senga is the biggest uh probable international free agent coming over this off season and he's a pitcher so that's not necessarily their their main position of need but hey if they if they like him and they get a decent contract for him a, de- a decent deal on him why not add to a strength you know that lets you trade a chris flexen who i think he has a little bit of surplus i'm just speaking off the top of my head i'm trying to find him right now
1: <laughs>
0: he may or may not he's got 0.3 okay so maybe not a ton <laughs> but he's gonna make eight million this yeah. year
1: and he's coming off a terrible year so like and he's out of options yeah. well so, he's coming
0: so. off a uh he's coming off a results over process type here you know the era mm-hmm. wasn't ugly but the the predictors didn't like him quite as much yeah. so yeah. and other teams are gonna see that so yeah. Between him and Gonzalez, you're not getting anything in, in a trade. Gonzalez is way yeah. underwater. Yeah. um. So so maybe they don't go after a guy like Senga just because it would kind of leave them with those two and they're not getting anything back for those guys. But yeah. it is a good call. They, if, I am also not an expert on that market, so there could be some offensive players I'm missing that they do have their eyes on. Mm-hmm. All right. um, un- <clears throat> Absolutely, unpredictably, we we're unable to keep it to five minutes a team. So I think let's go ahead and let's knock out the Braves. We'll wrap up with them and then we can save the, uh, ALCS NLCS eliminated teams for next time. As we'll talk about them as well as the world series loser and, and and the winner. We'll talk about the winner winner next time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But (laughs) yeah, but but the Braves, (laughs) we've talked about them a ton. And honestly, they did a whole lot of their offseason heavy lifting during the season because everyone on the or- in the organization has a seven-year contract. And that's just <laughs> the way it is. They're, they're all going to be around for the next seven years at a very affordable rate. <laughs> um, yeah. They've got everything locked up. I mean, they have two outfield spots entirely locked in between Michael Harris and Ronald Acuna. Nothing's changing there for the foreseeable future. They've got the corner infield locked up between Austin Riley and Matt Olson second base Ozzie Albies he's had some trouble staying on the field and and underperformed a little bit this year but you still believe in him and hey even if he doesn't quite work out Von Grissom is there as well the rotation Mm -hmm. Spencer Strider Max Freed I guess they still need to extend Freed uh (laughs) Strider Freed Kyle Wright broke out this year you you gotta see what you have with Ian Anderson his stock is falling pretty rapidly here Um, But but they've got the start of a strong rotation. They just extended Charlie Morton as well. So they don't have a whole lot of work to do there other than if they do look into locking up Max Fried. So really the only thing you're looking at here is shortstop because Dansby Swanson is a free agent. Oh, and I guess I should mention their bullpen. It's, It's pretty solid and they just traded for Rysel Iglesias and he was very good for them down the stretch and he's locked up for a few years. So not a whole lot of movement needs to happen in that bullpen. But shortstop is the question. Are they also handing Dansby the contract that he wants, or does he go elsewhere? If so, are they in the market for a high-end shortstop? Do they see if Von Grissom can handle the position? It doesn't seem like he's he's really a long-term answer at shortstop, so they gotta find one right. somewhere. And it's it's really just a matter of are they are they bringing back Dansby? Are they gonna look at one of the other top options, a Correa or a Turner? Or, or is Andrew Bogarts, or are they looking elsewhere on the trade market? You know, is Ahmed Rosario a fit for them? Or I don't know. That they they really shouldn't look as low as Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, but do they? <laughs> um. So so there that's going to be the only real question. There's been a whole lot of speculation, um, attaching them to Jacob de Degrom, and I, I with how aggressive in general. Alex Anthopoulos has been since taking over the Braves I could see it uh it's maybe not quite on brand for them I don't think it seems a little bit riskier than they like to be um but I could I could see it DeGrom is a stud and he you know like I, after after winning a World Series and then being disappointing getting knocked out in the first round the next year I could see some frustration there and just go go get him we're gonna pay Jacob DeGrom 40 million dollars a year and we're going to win another world series. That's what we're here for. I could see it. So it's I, just that. I could. Yep. Uh, go for it. I was just going to say it's that and, and potentially another outfield spot.
1: Yeah. I was just going to bring that up. Marcelo Zuna is still penciled in at left field and he's coming off a dreadful year. And obviously the off field baggage as well is not pleasant. So his contract is deeply underwater for a number of reasons. And I'm sure they would love to get out of it. Maybe you can speculate that they could do like a bad contract swap. Um, One of our our trade posters posted, you know, uh, Bumgarner for Azuna, for example, just for rotation depth. I've heard worse ideas, uh, but I'm sure that might be looking into something like that with Azuna, just to kind of clear that spot. The other issue is where does Von Grissom play? If they, assuming they assign, assign either, you know, Dansby or Trey Turner or somebody to play shortstop, where is Von Grissom's position? I've been wondering about that. Like he filled in at second, he seemed fine at second. But with Albie's back, is he a shortstop and you alluded to it i'm not sure he's a shortstop so he could probably get by but he's not really a shortstop is he a corner outfielder i don't know what he is <laughs> i don't know he could hit but i don't know where he plays <clears throat> so yeah, that's you know a little bit of an issue but maybe you use him to fill that outfield spot i don't know um some some something going on there uh but other than that yeah there's not a lot to do i mean looking at their roster and all these guys that they locked up for years and years and years, how smart is that? They've got so much like early surplus value as well out of these, you know, guys that they locked up with Riley and Harris and Acuna and Albies and you know, people are wondering when Grissom's gonna get locked up. I don't I think they need to settle him in first before they do that. But they you know, even locked up Spencer Strider, which is unusual for a for a young pitcher. Uh, because pitchers are riskier, uh, but yet they felt so good about them that I think uh, you know that's what they wanted to do. Um, yeah, there's not much else they can do here other than depth of that right field uh, that outfield spot, other than where does Fungarson play. Other than that, I think that is a solid team. This is another sort of team where you can say, you know what, it you know the old expression that the playoffs are a crapshoot. You know, this is a good team that could easily have won the World Series again. You could flip that around and say. Well, they could have lost the World Series last year. Yeah, that's true, too. It's a crapshoot, but they've got the solid team. So there's not much they they really need to do. It's not like you have to say, oh, they need to do this and this to get over the hump. They're there. This is just tweaking at this point. Yeah. Uh, one other
0: position I, I didn't even mention was catcher, where they're also pretty stacked. They have yeah. William Contreras had a breakout year, and Travis Darno has been very productive with the team. Um, I, I think they like what they have there with the two of them, and Darno hasn't always been the healthiest, and Contreras has been DHing a bit. Uh, he might have seen some time in the outfield, too. I, I can't say for certain off the top of my head. Um, I think they like what they have there, but they could choose to move from that position of strength if they wanted to, because I'm also looking at, at this team and seeing no farm system to speak of. It's, it's, yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. It's Grissom. He isn't considered a prospect by our model. He might still make that prospect cut off uh by you know mlb and and all the publications he might still be considered a prospect but he isn't by our model uh or by our our mythology methodology that's the word Mm -hmm. uh but after him it is nothing at all you know there's (laughs) there's kyle muller who again he's in that kind of gray area bryce elder but those are both guys that are kind of current contributors and then it's you're looking at whoever this Murphy fella is at 5.6 and Richie at points. You got a, you got a few arms in the five range and then a couple infielders in the four, three, two range, but that's, it's, that's it. They, they traded for their guys. They graduated their guys and it's not a horrible, it's not a big issue necessarily because as we've been saying repeatedly, they have an entire big league rotation and starting lineup, seemingly <laughs> locked up at the big league level for, the next half decade at least Uh, but it does mean that unless they're trading Grissom it's going to be hard for them to get a real quality shortstop in a deal or to get a quality outfielder or to get you know another strong rotation arm they're going to need to either spend or they're going to be trading from some other position on the big league roster or they're going to be settling for a lower level option which might be fine they have a strong enough team that they could go into next season with the med rosario at shortstop and be just fine uh but it, it they can't make another olsen trade is i guess what i'm getting at
1: no they can't they've shot their wad this is the worst farm system i shouldn't say worst the weakest in terms of surplus value you know, of of the entire of all of them of the you know their top prospect is 6.5 it's jared schuster um, and the rest is fives and fours and threes and twos. So there's nothing. It adds up. The top thirty is only worth seventy one, and that's not even going to get you some of the premier talent. So you take you trade the entire top thirty and not get one player. So it's bad. Um, but on the other hand, I do think they have some money to spend. Um, and you know, one of the reasons why they locked up all these young guys early is because you know they're paying. You know, this guy $1 million and that guy $1 million, you know, they're going to get more expensive down the line. But right now they're not really costing you much and they're locked up. So they, they've got a wiggle room in the budget. So I think they will be in the free agent market one way or another for a shortstop, probably for an outfielder as well. Uh, and maybe a depth guy. You know, they're good.
0: Yeah. And the last thing I want to say is, is just to make it abundantly clear that their, their weak farm system is not an indictment on the team, on the process, on on the organization, development, drafting, et cetera. It's just the result of a well-run organization, actually. It's, you know, they've Absolutely. graduated all of these guys, and they've traded away some that, you know, maybe weren't as successful, and when they traded away some of the right guys, you know. They, they traded Christian Pache, granted, mm-hmm. a little bit late, but his value has since dropped to zero, as we were mentioning before, and, and there's been some other guys mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, the, we, we, I think we talked about this a while ago with the White Sox as well, when they had a really impressive young core all at the big leagues at the same time, and no farm system to speak of. Well, it's because it's they did what they're supposed to do with that farm, and since they've been so competitive, they haven't gotten those early draft picks. And that hasn't, just because they haven't hit, you know, some diamond in the rough already from their recent drafts doesn't mean that they can't still do so and it doesn't mean that they're drafting terribly or anything it's this is just what happens when you're a good competitive team
1: absolutely and some of these new draft picks you know may climb the ladder pretty quickly sometimes that happens they just start off at this level in the fives let's say and you know next thing you know i mean i mean Devon grissom was that way he was he was in single digits a year ago and then you know then he went up to 11 and 12 and 18 and 20 now he's at 40 right so you know the more they perform the more they're the higher they're gonna go so that can happen as well
0: yeah same story with spencer strider
1: yeah right well
0: all right that was a fun episode do you have anything else to add either about the braves or just in general
1: no um i think we're at the point where you know we're getting a lot of activity on the site a lot of fans of their teams that are obviously there's only two teams left but so that means 28 other teams are already in like what do we do mode so a lot of their fans are on our site which is great it's been very active lately so keep it coming folks um glad to have you and um and as the season uh winds down with the world series winding down and the off season officially starting by the next time we talk it'll be even more active i'm sure
0: yep and you know it's it's i'm prepping myself for the off season enjoying every game of the world series as it comes because about a month month and a half from now we're all going to be very bored <laughs> but go ahead and, and satiate that boredom by uh, using the simulator having some fun on the site uh, speculating about your favorite team and favorite players where they're going to end up and we'll be there along for the ride absolutely well, all right. That'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Values. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the rest of the World Series. Thanks,
1: John. Thanks, Josh.